You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Amanda. Hey, it's Chelsea. Hey, it's Sarah. Hi, it's Grace. And today we are going to be talking about uh, Carbon County Beth Doe from 1976. I am going to give a bit of a content warning. Um, there is mention of sexual assault in this case, um, and there are some descriptions that are pretty graphic. So just so you know, if that's not your thing, you might want to skip this one. So on December 20th, 1976, a teenage boy was walking along the banks of the Lehigh River in Eastside Borough, Carbon County. He was checking on the trap line he had laid, expecting to have caught some local wildlife. Unfortunately, he stumbled upon something much more gruesome. A suitcase that someone had clearly thrown off the Interstate 80 overpass had busted open and spilled its contents onto the ground. Those contents were a woman's head and part of a torso. A short distance away, lying in the grass, was the body of a tiny baby. Who was this woman, and who could possibly kill a baby, which we will later find out was technically still a fetus? Unfortunately, these questions may never be answered. So here is the full story. Five days before Christmas, 1976, a 14-year-old boy named Kenneth Jumper Jr., checking a trap line he had laid, came across a severed head, half a torso, and a fetus along the bank of the Lehigh River in a wooded area underneath Interstate 80. It was about 150 yards from his home in Kidder Township, close to the Luzerne and Carbon County line. That, if you're familiar with the Whitehaven area, that's where it was. Kenneth ran home and informed his older brother Richard of what he had found, and Richard called the police. I've heard differing reports of this, depending on the source. Some say that he told his father. Um, some even say that his father gathered the body parts, put them in his vehicle, and took them to the hospital. So, not exactly sure what happened there. Uh, but when police arrived at the scene, they found two more suitcases, which contained even more of the woman's body parts. Can I just interrupt real quick here? Mm -hmm. I'm curious what the logic would be in taking severed body parts to a hospital like is it just a gut reaction i don't know what to do with it i mean it's not like they're going to be able to do anything at the hospital that sounds horrible but i'm curious what the motivation would be yeah i was wondering that as well but maybe i mean it's in such a quiet place where nothing like this ever happens maybe he was like okay i guess i just take these things to the hospital but even in those reports, it doesn't mention him taking the fetus, which I think you would most likely take. But you know what? I'm not sure. And I'm not even 100% sure that that's what happened. But yeah, I don't really know what the logic behind that would be. So the remains were transported to the Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office for an autopsy identification. Medical examiner Dr. Herbert J. Fillinger was able to determine that the victim had been sexually assaulted, strangled, and shot in the neck post-mortem, the official cause of death being strangulation. They also determined that she had been nine months pregnant and, had she been able to, would have given birth to a baby girl. 
It was originally believed that she and her baby had died within a day or two of being discovered, even as recent as seven hours before the discovery. This has been debated in more recent years, with some arguing that they could have been deceased for more than a week before being found uh, and were just preserved by the cold weather. It was determined that she was Caucasian female between the ages of 15 and 25, I've also seen between 17 and 21, but that may have been determined in more recent years. When she was alive, she was between 4 foot 11 inches and 5 foot 4 inches tall, 140 to 150 pounds, had brown eyes, and she had naturally dark brown shoulder length hair, which may actually have been cut after the murder. She suffered severe tooth decay that must have been causing her pain when she was alive. It was pretty bad. Um, she had had some molars extracted in her teen years and some fillings, but it had clearly been a long time since she had seen a dentist. Um, and she also had type O blood. And it was then that she was given the name Beth Doe, uh, 1976, because they could not identify her. Any idea where the Beth part of the Beth Doe came from? Or was that just instead of Jane Doe, they just decided to call her Beth Doe? Um, I actually have no idea about that. I really looked into it and it just, it kind of seems random. I even actually looked into what the name Beth means and it doesn't really seem to have anything to do with the case. So I'm really not sure. Multiple composite sketches of what she may have looked like have been created over the years. And I'll post some of them on the Instagram and the website. Other notable features, she had a two to six inch scar above one of her heels um, on her calf, two moles on her face, one above her left eye and one on her left cheek. Um, they've been said to be possibly birthmarks or possibly they were developed during pregnancy. They can't be sure. Unfortunately, no one that had been reported missing in the area matched her description. It's really sad that no one reported her missing or claimed her. I mean, she was pregnant with somebody's baby. She would have had to have had some type of prenatal care, even though her dental status wasn't that great. Did they check with any OB offices to see if she was a match or missing somewhere? I'm not sure, but it was determined that she wasn't local. Um, so I'm not sure if they would have really known where to start looking. So before the killer or killers dismembered her body, they cut off her ears, nose, and breasts. These have never been located. Beth's body was cut into several pieces with a fine serrated knife. The unborn child had been removed from Beth's body when her torso was cut in half. The pieces were placed into three suitcases along with the body of her child and thrown off of a bridge in the westbound lane of Interstate 80. It has been said that the severing of the body parts was done with moderate skill, as in maybe not a surgeon, but someone who knew the basics of what they were doing. Like a hunter? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, it's unfortunate that there were probably a ton of hunters in that area, but that's definitely a great direction to go in. The police described the suitcases as light blue with red, white, and blue stripes across the top. There was a plaid design on one of them, um, but they had been spray-painted black. All of the suitcases were the same size, and they also noted that the handles were cut off. A pink bedspread with yellow and green flower pattern and New Jersey newspapers from September 26, 1976, 
were also found inside the suitcases, along with bits of hay and foam packing material. It's interesting that there's a newspaper from New Jersey and 81 goes into New Jersey. Yeah, um, according to tests that they performed, and I don't believe they knew this until about 2007, but apparently she spent most of her more recent years in the southern states, but those tests aren't exact, so it is possible. So I think the most interesting clue that police found was a series of numbers and letters written in ink on Beth's left palm. There have been many interpretations of what is written, but it is known that the three letters are W-S-R. Next to that is either a four or a five, and below that and slightly to the right is either a four or a seven. Over the years, both license plates and CB handles have been explored as a meaning for the string of letters and numbers, but their significance has never been determined. So according to a Reddit user, Riddle Skittle, WSR could have stood for Women's Services and Resources. Um, there was actually one not far from where she was, so that's an interesting theory. It's interesting because WSR offers support groups for eating disorders and breakups and Everything in between, including sexual assault survivors. So maybe if she was being assaulted or hurt in some way, she was going to them for help. Yeah, it's definitely very possible. Beth Doe and her baby, baby Jane Doe, were kept in the medical examiner's office until 1983 when they were finally laid to rest in a potter's field in Lorytown, Lehigh Township. And now this is a place where people are buried when their families can't afford a funeral, or as in Beth Doe's case, when the family can't be located, um, and they were buried in a wooden coffin. Their bodies were then exhumed on October 30th, uh, 2007, because investigators had hoped that modern technology would finally be able to tell them something. The, I'm going to go into the forensic analysis a little bit. To help establish identification, tooth enamel, bone, and hair samples for this unidentified female and her fetus underwent chemical stable and heavy isotope analysis. So this involves in examining the chemical content of water ingested by the victim. It's definitely not an exact science, but it can narrow down regions where the victim may have spent some time. So that's pretty much... Um, what suggested where she was from, which I'll get into. And when we were talking to Amanda about New Jersey, that's what showed that she had probably spent time in the southern states. So according to the analysis of Beth's tooth enamel, she was most likely born in Western or Central Europe. Um, they think specifically the Balkans, most likely Serbia or Croatia, and moved to the U.S. as a child or a teenager. The analysis also indicated that she had lived in the U.S. for at least five years before she was killed. As for the fetal analysis, the results suggest that the geographic origin of gestation occurred in the southeastern U.S. Okay, so does that mean that baby Jane Doe was conceived in the southeastern U.S.? I'm assuming that the term geographic origin of gestation is just a really fancy way of saying where she was conceived am i crazy in that thought no that yeah that is what that means and i'm super interested i didn't find too much on the science so listeners if you know anything about fetal analysis please get in touch with us but um yeah they are saying that the baby was conceived in the southeastern usa so you are correct <laughs> 
That is fascinating. And I'd love to look a little bit deeper into that because maybe it points to the fact that maybe um, Beth Doe was on a vacation in PA or running from something. I mean, if she was involved with the WSR, I mean, maybe she was running from something that happened in the South and she came up North to get away or, I mean, it, it could be a myriad of possibilities, but I think it's really interesting that within nine months, she would go from having conceived her baby in supposedly southeastern U.S., but then be living or at least for a time existing in northeastern U.S. in Pennsylvania. I think that's interesting. Yeah, definitely a piece of the puzzle that they don't have is the why for anything, unfortunately. New DNA helped them to create another composite sketch of what Beth may have looked like. Unfortunately, even with this new information, they were ultimately unsuccessful in identifying her, but they were able to rule out some missing women that they had been looking into. Have they tried genetic genealogy yet to see if she matches with anyone in the database like Ancestry.com or I think 23Life is another one? So her DNA profile is in an international database. Um, and so far, there have been no matches, but I, I'm not sure if there's more that they could do with that. But yeah, so far, no matches to anything. I feel like there's something now with like Ancestry.com and 23andMe and all those different things that whenever you submit your DNA, you can choose to have it submitted to that international database. And I think... That's part of, like, when you look at GSK, I mean, that was a big part of how he ended up being captured. And it was through the international database, but it was because a distant relative of his had done one of those, like... tested. Yeah, it was one of those just, like, online mail your spit somewhere sort of things. I've done it. (laughs) I haven't. But I don't remember... I don't remember if we had to, like, say if we wanted to upload it somewhere... I feel like in the Golden State Killers case that they actually put it in a family tree kind of thing and build it off of that. I think you're right. And I think um, genetic genealogy or forensic genealogy has come a lot farther in the past three, four, five years that now they're starting to. I feel like I read a news article or heard it on one of the podcasts I listened to where they said something about now you have the option like before either it was automatic or um like automatic one way or the other either it automatically submitted or it automatically didn't but now you have I the option i think it was that it automatically didn't because i remember hearing that they had nothing to do with like that sort of forensic database so me that must be like a new option that we have. Okay. Yeah. That would make sense. It'd be really cool if something came of all of that. Yeah. I know like Oxygen, um, there is a CSI, Yolanda McClary, who has a new show on there. She was actually the person that um, the redheaded girl in CSI in Las Vegas was based on. And they dive into Jane Doe cases and use genealogy to try and find it, like who who they are and more about their family. That would be really, really cool if they could do that. So after tissue samples were taken, Beth and her daughter were buried again, 
this time in a nicer coffin. On November 1st, 2007, a small funeral was held, and the simple white cross frequently has flowers left around it. The composite sketch has been updated in recent years, and investigators believe um, it is a much better or a much more accurate representation of what Beth Doe actually looked like. Can I just point out that she was actually pretty beautiful? I also really like that, and listeners, you guys will be able to see this on Instagram. They have different versions, like shorter hair, longer hair. I mean, I know she's described as the medium length hair, but it's kind of helpful that it has versions of the drawing with longer hair. Seems kind of silly, but honestly, hair length can make a big difference in recognizing somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I found so many different sketches of her, and I know which one was the original, and I know which one is the most recent. Um, But in between, there are so many, I didn't even, um, you know, I'm not even going to have them all on Instagram. Most of them are fairly similar, except the first one that I will post. Do you guys know which one I'm talking about? It's at the top of the document. It seems like kind of an outlier, which is interesting. I'm not really sure where that one came from, but most of them are pretty similar. So some information to note. A few years before the murder, much of Luzerne County experienced a population boom due to the coal mining industry. Many residents had traveled from around the country and around the world, many of them being Europeans. I did see something that today 70% of those in Whitehaven are from Polish descent, and that's followed by a large population of those of Irish and Italian descent. Do you think that her family came here for that? I mean, maybe this is crazy, and listeners, as the podcast goes on, you'll understand that I like to throw out all the random conspiracy type theories. But what if she came to the States with a boyfriend or a close friend or husband or something, and her family was still in Europe somewhere, um, and that Beth Doe and this guy weren't well known in the community or... You know, like we said earlier, maybe they lived in the South and she kind of ran up here and truly was on her own. Um, maybe if he was somehow behind this, he could either play off to her parents that she died in childbirth or um, maybe she didn't have a great relationship with her parents. So if she came overseas with a romantic interest, um, maybe he could just kind of get away with it as in and. I mean, I hate this thought, but that if she was an immigrant or here on a visa, she just wouldn't be missed. Um, And if they weren't really known to anybody else, I don't know if it would raise any flags. I think that's true. I mean, if she wasn't missed or no, if she was estranged from her family, but if she wasn't um, and he, this said person you know, reported to the the parents that she died during childbirth, wouldn't they want the remains back? I mean, I would think that if my kid died in a different country, I would want the remains back. But then on the flip side, if they came here because of this boom for coal mining, maybe they didn't have the funds to transport her back. I know that I've actually witnessed autopsies um, and there was a gentleman who was from a different country and they didn't have the funds to send him back. So he basically gets cremated and sat on a shelf until they know what to do with him. That's 
heartbreaking. Um, it is. And I, I think that could be a good point. Um, and obviously it's, it's all entirely speculation. We don't even know for sure that she was from a certain place. For all we know, she was born and raised in Pennsylvania and has had family here forever. Um, very true. It just, it just seems like if, Everything lines up in the right way. It's a possibility. And stranger things have happened and stranger things have lined up. So I don't know. It it seems like an interesting theory that maybe she was just one of those cases where her family had died or wasn't in the States or couldn't afford to ask questions because they couldn't afford to send her back anyway. Um it's really sad, but I wonder how plausible that thought is. Yeah, I think it's really hard for us to, like, not imagine having any connections or, like, anyone that wouldn't miss you and your unborn child. I mean, friends, family, even acquaintances. But even still, you are coming over here from another country with possibly other people that do know you. Maybe they're afraid or... You never know. I mean, yeah, people not from here, they pretty much stay pretty close-knit and don't really talk about things. That's true. Like, maybe they had a distrust of police and like Possibility. That. Yeah. And they don't want to cause trouble for anything that they're doing. I mean, they need the money. Yeah. So. Well, and we look at yeah. two of the cases that we've already talked about with Cindy Song and Anna, whose last name I cannot pronounce, um, Macheskova. <laughs> I don't know. I apologize for totally butchering that last name. But when we look at those cases, something that came up in each case was also that they were foreign and there hasn't been much progress there potentially because of that. And it, I mean, we know for sure with Cindy Song, her parents were cut out of the investigation because of their accusations. So, I mean, who's to say this wouldn't have just been another case of that, that friends would have been afraid to speak up. I mean, I think that's a good point. What about human trafficking? I mean, I think that's always an option, unfortunately, that's out there. So as far as the theory that maybe her case wasn't looked into enough because she was uh, foreign, possibly, it's not totally nailed down, but... I mean, a lot of work has gone into this case, actually. I mean, they did the initial autopsy and they, I mean, they worked really hard and even got back into it. Obviously, they exhumed the bodies in 2007. And um, I don't remember if he's still working on her case now, but there was um, an officer in the 90s that was really into trying to figure this out. So I think. There have been a lot of people working on it. It's technically still open. There have, there have been a lot of people that have cared a lot um, about finding her identity. So honestly, even with all that information they have from the autopsies and all of this information where they can see where she probably spent time, where she probably came from, there just there haven't been any matches. Uh, recently, in 2019, police received a tip that someone may know who Beth Doe was and is. 
The tipster believed that Beth was actually Madeline Maggie Cruz. Cruz was in the care of New Jersey Social Services and was sent to Rockwood Academy in Lenox, Massachusetts for a short time. She was then taken in by a foster family in Framingham, Mass. At 16, Cruz ran away to what authorities speculate may have been Terrytown, New York. After two years of no contact, Cruz contacted a friend to say that she was pregnant and needed money, but that was the last time anyone ever heard from her. It was later confirmed that Cruz is still alive and well, and the identity of Beth Doe remains a mystery. So we're going to get into some theories here. Um, unfortunately, we don't have any DNA or evidence to point us to the killer at all, and we also lack a motive. Um, so here are the most three most popular theories that are out there. It could have been completely random. Was she hitchhiking? Was she hitchhiking to get to um, the Women's Services Center? I mean, was there someone just driving along that was looking for someone to do this to? I, I mean, that doesn't really jive with me. Well, you would also think that if you are literally butchering someone, there has to be a place where there is a whole heck of a lot of blood. Or was it? did it happen somewhere where it was easily cleaned, like a butchering place or a farm or some type of plant or even um, like working in a type of kitchen or something. Yeah. I mean, a lot of blood with that. Yeah. Like where is the actual murder site? It obviously was not here on the riverbank. So uh, the second theory is abuse. Um, either with a significant other or due to sex work. I feel like that's a theory that's always thrown out there, and I even hesitate to mention this because of the stigma around the murder of sex workers and that they're somehow less dead due to their lifestyle, that they're asking for it, etc. Um, I mean, let's just, just let's just say from here on out, I mean, we haven't talked about any sex workers previously on the podcast, but Anytime that comes up, let's just put our foot down right now and say that's definitely not how we see any of those people. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm with you, Grace. I think I would hesitate to bring it up, but, um, I mean, it could be possible that something like that was going on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Abuse in you know, any sense. And obviously, well, I guess not obviously because she could have been cut up just to get rid of the body, but I think they had to have some type of anger toward her. I mean, especially, especially cutting off her breasts. Well, she also had so much, like, an additional shot after she was dead. I mean, it was so much yes. worse. Just Overkill. Absolutely. Literally. For sure. So... I would kind of assume that it was probably someone close to her in some way or another. Yeah. Um, which kind of brings us into the third one, which is an honor killing. So they say that the killer could have been a family member who was ashamed that she was pregnant out of wedlock, uh, could have been a lover who did not want a child or believed she had been unfaithful. Well, when you were, when I had first read this, I honestly thought that what if it was you know, she did have a lover who maybe was really adamant about not wanting to have a child. You know, she's not from here, maybe not a support system. 
maybe they tried to have a late stage abortion and it went horribly wrong. I mean, you have heard stories like this, especially with people not from here who can't afford an abortion. And back then that is not something that was, you know, looked upon as, I guess, dignified or graceful and dignified, sorry. And so maybe she passed away and they're like, oh, well, how how are we going to hide this? Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. It's just super sad. I mean, she was about to have that baby. It's terrible. Um, so it should be noted that removing her breasts may have been an act of hatred toward women in general. If the killer was a misogynist, he may have cut off her breasts to shame her. Um, you know, think Jack the Ripper. Um, there's a lot of instances where if the man is pissed off at women in general, especially maybe his mother, he will, um, cut off their sex organs. And honestly, I mean, I don't know how many of you guys or of the listeners have ever even just like the point that Amanda made earlier with just butchering a deer. I mean, it takes a lot of strength to like cut through a deer, let alone a person, which is just a gross statement. But I even think of like when my husband goes hunting and he brings home a bunch of deer meat, I still have to go through and, you know, like skim off the silver skin and, and whatever. And even that's difficult just to remove the fat. Like I can't imagine cutting off a breast after having to cut at the joints. And I'm not trying to be super graphic. I'm just going from having helped with butchering a deer to then also coming home and doing the the tiny work, I don't know what to call it. It just like, there has to be, like you guys said earlier, some element of hatred or an intense emotion or just someone that is unstable in some way, shape or form that has the ability to just do that. Maybe it's also a valid point that cutting pieces was truly just to, and this is also gross, but make, the body fit in the suitcase. And I mean, I don't know if there's a way of determining the size of different parts of her body, but I mean, I know women that are the same body type, but some are in a cup A and some are not. So as I mentioned before, her nose and her ears were also cut off. And you could say that maybe that was to make it a little more difficult to identify her, but why leave her hands? And especially that note that was written on her palm. I mean, you can get fingerprints, you get that clue. So also why the nose and the ears? That had to probably be something to do with overkill or hatred or something, I would assume. Was fingerprinting really a thing in the 70s? I would think so. I would think that's probably, like, the only thing that they had. I don't think they had it. They definitely didn't have a database for it, but I think they took it and literally had to match it. Had, like, an expert sit there and meticulously match it. Yeah, I'm sure there was was a thing. Just not, like, today. Well, Google to the rescue. They started in 1892 in Buenos Aires, Argentina, when the first inspector 
made the first criminal fingerprint identification. So I am I am wrong. I just found the same thing and was about to say the same thing. Um, okay, now we know. Well, I mean, it makes me think of, I don't know if you guys are John Mulaney fans, um, but he has a, he's a comedian. He has a bit where he talks about, like, literally, if you wanted to get away with a bank robbery, you just had to not be there when the cops got there. And, I mean, the joke that he made was from the 1800s, but I feel like it basically still rings true until about mid-80s, early 90s, if even, because... I mean, yeah, because that's kind of when the databases could be created, when the Internet started coming around. So, I mean, you could get information, but what did you have to compare it to? You had to go through 150,000 index cards to see if enough points on the fingerprint matched. And who's going to do that when you... And then they weren't super careful because it was, they didn't know. And things really changed a lot after the O.J. Simpson. Yes. Very true. And it was said even here in 1976, there wasn't a ton, there weren't a ton of like samples for DNA and everything like carefully kept because, you know, they didn't have the technology and I'm sure they kept some knowing that it would eventually improve, but they, they didn't work that hard to preserve the stuff that they didn't. Because I definitely feel he would have to touch if the they suitcase. only knew. I mean, yeah. to throw it out. So that really But I guess sucks. if you just had, like, a glove and you just, like, tossed oh. it over me, I'm... I don't know. Well, you cut the handles off. That's true. That's interesting. And, like, back then that wasn't a thing. Like, people weren't worried about getting caught because there was really nothing to, you know... Catch them? Yeah, basically. <laughs> and so they yeah. weren't being careful. Was the killer trying to send a message, maybe to one of her family members or someone close to her? Maybe her family was afraid to come forward, and Chelsea had even mentioned maybe they were kind of afraid of the police even, because they were foreigners maybe, but they just wouldn't come forward and identify her. Um, There's also the thought that maybe it was a serial killer. Uh, Police departments in the 70s weren't exactly known for inter-regional cooperation, so... Um, I didn't look into it too much, but there could have been maybe similar murders in other states or even in other counties that weren't really taken into consideration. So that's always an option, unfortunately. So just some further questions that I had is where was she actually murdered? And we were talking about that earlier. I mean, there's got to be a place with, you know, a ton of blood and tons more clues about who did it. Um, The riverbank was only the discovery site of Beth's remains. Uh, The suitcase had most likely been tossed off the I-80 bridge while a vehicle was traveling westbound. So where did they come from? So if you have any tips about this case, uh, you can call state police at 570-459-3890 or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 800 843-5678. You can also call Pennsylvania Crime Stoppers toll-free at 800-4PA-TIPS. All callers remain anonymous and could be eligible for a cash reward. Hey guys, it's Grace. We recorded our Beth Doe episode a few weeks ago, so I actually have some brand new, very exciting information to share with you. Full credit to abc27.com, 
based in Harrisburg, as it appears that they are the only site reporting on this just-released news so far. Not many details have been released yet, but according to this article, a New York man by the name of Louis Sierra, age 63, has been charged with the homicide of our Beth Doe, who has been identified as 15-year-old Evelyn Colon. Sierra is in custody in New York and awaiting extradition. He was just 19 years old at the time of the murder. So check out our website, kccpod.com, for updates as the story unfolds and links to all of our social media. Join us for our regularly scheduled episode this Friday for another case to sleuth out. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Grace. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music by Darren Makins, production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.